0: Hey
1: guys, today is an Outback with Jack segment. Um, This is not from the live feed that we did for Outback with Jack. It's a little bit different than our typical Outback with Jack, so I thought I'd throw a little... um, Extra intro into this one uh, to set the stage for it and to just kind of set the stage for the fact that this is the last live episode or new episode of the Survival Podcast. Hold on. Relax. For the next two weeks. I am going to Florida with my wonderful wife, and uh, we'll be there a couple days before this happens, but my uh, my good friend David And his wife, Mona, will be joining us there. We are going to spend a a little bit more than a week fishing for sharks and searching for shells and basically laying on the the sand and uh, enjoying ourselves and separating from the craziness of the world. Uh, We're doing that twice this year. We usually do it only once, but we are doing it twice this year because this is the kind of year where we want to do it twice. So what is the point of working your ass off and building your own business if you can't just take off for 10 days? So that's what I'm going to do. And I'm going to be leaving you with some really cool rewinds on skill sets. I won't say anything more on that because we will talk about that during uh, the segments today. This is a cool one. This is a cool one that worked out cooler than I could have imagined. And I might do this more. Um, on Fridays, I pretty much come to you guys with an agenda. I go through the week when I'm getting ready for Outback with Jack. And I try to make about 30 minutes of bullet points. And then I like take questions from the audience and just kind of freestyle it. Um, what I did today was I sent a text to Nicole Sauce and said, hey, I know it's early, but if you're around and you want to come on, I'll be there. And here's a link. And then she came on. And then so we had Nicole for a while. And then Charles, the humble mechanic, shows up. Uh, Tim Toolman Cook shows up. And then a couple members of the audience showed up. And I just threw a link in in the uh, the live chat on YouTube and said, if you want to come hang out, come on, we'll we'll have you on. And if you know if we got an idiot on or something, I would just ban them and not worry about it because that could always happen. And uh, might be fun anyway. So I'm thinking that this format maybe not as an every Friday. But maybe a frequently on Fridays, we kind of let the agenda go or shorten it and do this. Because this turned out really well. And I know we were talking about things that people wanted to talk about because they were telling us what they wanted to talk about as they did it. I'm also kicking this idea around. Maybe I keep the Friday formats the way they are because they're going really good, right? And maybe on Mondays, maybe every other Monday, I do this, like today... And then the next Monday I do kind of a stand-alone show or a feedback show or something like that, like I normally do on Mondays. I don't know yet. I do like these because by doing them so early, it lets me finish up early, taking more of that time back into my life or, like, seeing to the needs on my homestead, spending time with my grandkids, which I get to do today, etc. Uh, so, yeah, maybe I'll do it. I'd love to hear your thoughts on it. Now, I'll tell you that if you send me thoughts or segments, or articles, or anything like that, go ahead and do it, but I am not going to really be paying much attention. When I get done today, I have to do an interview tomorrow, but it won't run until the first week that I'm back, right, so I'm going to do the interview, it'll go out a live feed tomorrow, but if you want to hear it on the podcast, it'll go on the podcast two weeks out, uh, next Monday, next other next Monday, right, the Monday after the next Monday, right, I don't know how that works, whatever, right, I'm already in vacay mode if you can't tell, but this was really fun. You hear a lot from Billy Roy Bob, the rooster today. And there's a point in it you'll actually hear me, while somebody else is talking, fighting with the rooster who jumped up on the table and tried to attack me over the, uh, over the upward part of my laptop and uh, I gave him a, uh, a, I recently bought a new knife, and I have a big heavy-duty box that came in, and I, he's fighting with the box, and eventually I throw the box at him and knock him on his ass. You don't get to see him go, but you see my reaction when I do. It might be worth checking out the video version of this one for that alone. So here we go. We're talking about all kinds of stuff today. Winter maintenance, winter prep, learning from stupidity in our youth, things that, that I did, that Charles the Mechanic did, that Tim Toolman Cook did. Notably, like, Nicole Sauce didn't have a lot of stories about doing dumb things when she was young. Maybe she was smarter than us. Lots of cool stuff. Cool stuff from a couple members of the audience that joined in. If you like this format, send me an email like you always do, TSPC in the subject line. Let me know you like this format. If you like this format, I will definitely work more shows like this in in the future because it's actually really easy to do and you just never know what's going to happen. With that, here we go to the back porch and uh, what was recorded during today's live stream, which ran from around 10 after 8 till about 9.40 a.m. Central Standard Time. Well, good morning, everyone. Coming to you from the uh, back porch, live from Texas. Let me adjust this camera just a little bit. I am a little discombobulated today. Um, this really wasn't planned earlier in the week. As many of you know, I'll be going on vacation um, starting tomorrow, and... Um, during that time, you guys are going to get a really great series of rewinds for the podcast. So if there's any live feeds on uh, any of the platforms, YouTube, Odyssey, or anything, um, it's going to be quick and remote and some fun stuff. I don't know how much, if any, of that I'll do while I'm on vacation. I might throw something up for you off the beach if the Wi-Fi signal from the hotel reaches down there. It usually doesn't, but I don't know. Maybe we'll... My buddy David will be out there. He can point a camera pretty easily. Maybe we'll live stream or something while we're cooking some fish on the grill in the evening, because where the grill is, we do get good signal. But mostly, I'll be gone. And I was sitting around and like, what the? What, what do I do for Monday? Because Monday's still going to be a new show, right? And if you have any questions or topics for today, that's what it is. It's just you guys throw stuff at me, and we're going to shoot the shit from the back porch. Uh, maybe it's early enough drink some coffee together. And it is Texas, but it's in the freaking forties. I don't know what happened. I'm happy about it though. Uh put the puppy back in the dogs when they go out in the morning and it's like this, you know, they come in all happy. So it's beautiful. But uh if I had a little more time, if I wasn't so far behind, I I'd literally have the uh one of the propane overhead heaters like they have at restaurants. We have a couple of those. I'd have that behind me today because it's it's chilly out here. When the sun's coming up, I'm sure it'll warm up as we go. Hot coffee, hot cup, but Joe can't go without the Joe. Speaking of Joe, Joe says, home maintenance for the coming winter. I think has a lot to do with where you live, doesn't it? Right? And I'm going to tell you now, like, I'm going to do, like, this for a little bit. Any of you that have, like, AV capabilities, you have uh, uh, a microphone and a camera where you can come into a conference room like this. In about 20, I'm going to throw a link in. And if you want to come join me for a bit and actually be on the air, we're going to let you come be on the air in about 20 minutes. So if you need to set up for that and you want to do it, go ahead. I'm not going to drop the link until we get through some of this initial stuff. Uh Home maintenance. I think what you have to do is you have to look two ways, average and worst case, right? So what you really want to get ready for first is what is an average winner like where you are, right? And for us, average is weird because what which winner? We have winners where we have... Five seven days that it actually goes below freezing. We have winters where we have 30 to 60 days where it goes below freezing. But averages below freezing means 28 degrees, right? That's average. So the first thing we have to be ready for is a basic freeze. And that's what most people do around here. And then we have to be ready for worst case. And a whole generation, actually, I'd say two generations of Texans, just got their hundred year example of what worst case looks like. So y'all know we had the great freeze this year. I don't know that there's any way that people in this area can truly be a hundred percent prepared for 12 consecutive days where the high is below freezing and, and, Half of those days, your high is in the single digits to low double, like, like 12 was the high of one of those nine days or something or eight days that was that cold and lows below zero. Nothing's built for it here. So you really have to think totally differently. That's that we call that like December in Pennsylvania, right? That's, it just happens in December sometimes. It always happens in January and February, right? Always. It's not even a question of if that's going to happen here. We had a 65,000-acre lake freeze over, thick enough that stupid people were walking on it, but nobody fell in and died. That tells you how well frozen it was. And I asked the neighbor, like, you've lived here a long time. Have you ever seen the lake freeze over? He goes, oh, yeah, like it like it happened yesterday or something. So I was here with a buddy, and we're like, well, Dennis, when, when did the lake freeze over? He's like, yeah. I think it was either sixty-five or sixty-six, right? So it is kind of a once in a two generation event, but you still need to be prepared for it, right? So um our biggest preps that paid off. Generators, and we do have a fast hookup backfeed, you know, professionally installed thing where we can put the big generator on here that runs most of the stuff in the house. So a generator hooked into that ran the house. Plus a small generator to run like lights in the well house and stuff like that uh, was necessary as well on the outside stuff. Normally, that generator, if the power's out, would be running the pumps in my ponds, but they froze so hard that you would have destroyed the pumps trying to run them. Uh, even the moving water froze solid. So uh, that was huge as having that. Water was in very short supply. A few bottles of wine to sit around and commiserate with my wife was pretty nice. Um, and then I have two Big Buddy Space heaters. And if you guys saw the video I did when that went down, I uh, it, it didn't affect us that much, right? We're still sitting here drinking a steam. We have a gas stove, right? So that helps at all. And um, what we lost, and I wish I had one more space heater, and I've been waiting to bring the Big Buddy around as an item of the day. If you can get one don't wait for me to bring it around as an item of the day. If it'll help you to have a big buddy heater and the adapter for a grill size tank. And they run a pretty damn long time off one of those. If you see it at like your local hardware store or whatever, and, and it's going to be good for you, get one. The last time I thought about running, there were only four in stock on Amazon and it's October. So what do you think's going to happen? So be ready for this winter. Definitely. Let's see who else has something here. Um, Jason says, how high fuel prices will go? Good time to switch to diesel or some more efficient truck. I think this is a good time to budget for whatever you think is going to happen. And I, I want people to realize there's two ways to look at fuel prices. Fuel prices for your car. People get really weird about the wrong things. So fuel goes up a dollar. Okay. Okay. Uh, for your car. And that's an astronomical gas increase. It's gone up a couple dollars, right? But let's say it goes up a dollar over what you're dealing with right now. If you use 10 gallons of fuel a week in commuting, it's 10 bucks a week. If it goes up two, or if you use 20, it's, it's 20 bucks a week. It's $80 a month. No one's happy about it. But the same person that's freaking out about that is still spending money they don't have on other things or other things in their life are going up much higher. Um, than fuel prices relative to the total cost per month. So when you're talking a buck or two, it starts to hurt. When people start telling me, you know, gas prices, man, like they went up a quarter. I'm like, well, how much gas do you use? And you know, it's usually somewhere in the neighborhood 10 to 12 gallons a week. And at 10 gallons a week, it's $2.50. It's $10 a month. I'm not excusing it. I'm just saying like, I'm not gonna alter my life over that. I'm gonna alter something else in my life to recover that $10. And I think that's how we should be thinking about vehicle fuel prices. The other side of it, people that are like using oil burners up northeast for heating homes, you use a hell of a lot more fuel oil to heat your 2,000 square foot house than you do to run your car to work and back every day, right? So that's where it really starts to hurt, and that's where we really need to look at alternatives or people that are using natural gas to heat their homes. Natural gas, you tend to use quite a bit of it to heat a large home. Additionally, the majority of our electric that's being produced, like here in Texas, is being produced from what? Natural gas. Um, so while coal hasn't spiked, and that's going to maybe help mitigate a little bit. There's a lot of coal-fired plants as well. If natural gas goes up, electrical rates go up. Of course, they're regulated and controlled to a degree. But I think everybody's going to see more of an impact on this, on the cost of maintaining your home. The good news, you can't throw five logs in your car and drive to work, but you can get, and I don't care if it's illegal, screw them. If you do the installation yourself, you can throw a a wood-burning stove in your house and you can, like, there's plenty of wood out there, and, like, you can mitigate. So I would be more concerned with mitigating through the winter the cost of heat. And I'm back. I don't know what the hell they're after me. I guess I'm spewing too much truth there. Um, well, I'm trying to go back to the next question. Did I keep my F-350? I still have my F-350. I have looked at what's wrong with it. It's not in good shape. It's a very old truck. Now it's an 05. It has 280,000 miles on it. The cost of repairs will be about $6,000. The value of the truck when repaired would be about $6,000. I could probably scrap the truck right now with the value of parts and steel and everything where a person that's willing to do the work because they can't do math I can probably get $2,500 for the truck. So what do you think I'm going to do with that math, guys? Right? Like that's that's something that pretty much makes the decision for you, right? And you can get really emotional and say, but then you have a paid for truck. Okay, but I can sell the truck for $2,500, right? I can take $5,000 of the $6,500 that I was going to have to pay to fix the truck. And now I have $7,500. And for an effective cost of $5,000, I can go buy a truck that doesn't need work because there's tons. I know people think like used vehicles are in short supply or whatever. When you're talking about trucks like like a work truck, they're everywhere right now for five to $10,000 around here. And for a truck that's going to be used to haul a load of mulch once a month, it's going to last 20 years because who cares? Yeah, that that's I don't need an F350 anymore. When I bought that, I had an RV, I had a trailer, I had a lot of things I was doing. I lived in a different place. I was hauling material up a mountainside. Uh now I live where I haul material flat across paved roads. Like so I don't really need it anymore. So that's probably what I'm going to do. Bonnie Blue 2A who's been around forever in the community, uh, at least on the YouTube side of it, says, "Do you did you ever install some solar at your house?" The only solar we have at the house runs the small me or the low Miyagi with all the bullheads that grows all the duck feed and stuff like that. We've never installed solar here. We probably are going to this year. Um it probably just makes sense to do so. Um at this point things are getting um things are getting to a point where it really makes sense to do something with that. Uh I am going to right now, for anybody that wants to, drop a link in the live chat. And if you click that link, please make sure that you already have the ability to communicate in a chat room. Speaking of which, before I even dropped it, look who's arrived.
2: Hey, everybody. How's it going?
1: Nicole sauce. The sauce must flow. The, the sauce, sauce is flowing early in the morning. I, I sent her a text about 20 minutes ago, and I'm like, I know it's fucking early, um, but if you want to come on this morning and hang out with me and Billy Roy... You can come on. So Nicole's here. We have no agenda today, Nicole. This is that's, uh, that's great. This is farewell to Jack. I'm going on vacation. We've been talking about um, God, why does this the chat move so fast? I can't get the relevant yeah. comments up. Um, we've been talking a little bit about fuel prices and home maintenance and, yeah. and things like that for winter. And I said about fuel since you weren't here yet. Um, I'd be more worried about the cost of heating my home if I'm on fuel oil, yeah. nat gas for heating, or if I'm on electric and like electrical company is primarily generating with oil or natural gas, cause we use a lot more to heat homes than we do to drive our car. If we're using 10 gallons of fuel a week. Oh, I'm going to kill that bird. Uh,
2: yeah, so you invited your rooster to the live stream today.
1: He invites himself. He's a dick.
2: <laughs> but, uh, you know, you
1: use a lot more energy to heat a home yeah. than you do run a car. So that's kind of where we were at when you got here. And now we got.
2: The wood um, stoves are awesome because yes. you just like, that's like, I've got two cords of wood here for the winter. I'm hoping it's enough, but if it's not, we'll start getting, you know, getting tall wood now for the winter. If it's
1: not, it's enough through Christmas and in, through January.
2: Oh, right? Yeah. We usually don't even start till Christmas here. I'll have like yeah. one fire this month, but
1: yeah, you, you have time, right? That's your yeah. buying time with your self-reliance. So, um, God, I'm going to kill him. I'm telling you guys, you don't, those of you that don't know, he made these really pretty babies with a Buff Orpington, and they live separated from everybody else. And they are the most beautiful Bantam chickens I have ever seen in my life. I call them Blue Phantoms. <laughs> I'm waiting to see what happens when you breed one Blue Phantom to another Blue Phantom. <laughs> and I'm getting as many of his genetics, genetics into eggs of other chickens as I can before he goes to the barbecue because he's – this is not why. He attacks everybody.
2: Are we having He's an an asshole rooster. rooster coca bean at the workshop?
1: Yeah, he might be. He might be coca bean. Um, drop smoke says considering Miyagi ponds in a northern climate, Michigan, any suggestions or comments? I don't know about you, <laughs> my comment is don't do it the way I do it, right? Like, yeah. dig a hole. Like only you know how deep you have to go to not freeze solid in Michigan. I don't know how deep your ice is going to get. I do know that when you build something like a Miyagi and you have your sidewalls exposed to the elements, right, that you freeze deeper than you would in the ground already. So if you have four inches of ice on a pond and you have a Miyagi or an above ground pool, you probably have six. Yeah. And that's in my duration because we don't stay down there except last year for very long, right? So that's been my experience. But most people don't live on a rock all cropping so I would go down minimum four feet um, I would reinforce that as your you know stay as square as you can I would reinforce the sidewalls with plywood like when you look on a construction job and they do trenching and you got a guy in the trench and you don't want them to like die I would reinforce those with plywood and that plywood would literally rot down there right and the beautiful thing about four feet is how Wide is a piece of plywood. It's four feet, right? So I would do that, reinforce that, and then I would invest in like three-quarter or even one and a half inch foam insulative board. And I would, and I do this with mine. Cover the floor with it. The hell with carpet or felt or that crap to protect the liner. That's cheaper, it's thicker, and it works better, right? And then I would in, in Michigan, I would take those nails that's made for that little plastic disc ones, and I would nail that foam insulated board across all of those pieces of plywood and I would leave it there and I would drop my liner into the ground and then I would build the Miyagi height, whatever height you think you want, but two feet's really nice, right? As long as you're not trying to keep children or birds out of it, like two feet's really nice. It's a nice height. It's a nice sitting height and it's not going to take very much of the, the load. So I, if I could do that here, I'd have one two foot high, above grade and i'd have a six foot depth and i'd have a 16 by 16 i think you could do a 16 by 16 uh, you might want to use a little bit more of your um, structural wood screws however you're using a lot less of them right because you're only coming up what would that be four 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 that are really four four by fours that really support things right so that's what i would do what would you do what are you going to do? You're going to build one and you're in a northern one. I, I, I would,
2: uh, I'd float empty milk jugs in that in the winter. One or two. Uh-huh. Just like to... you would with a swimming pool so that the ice can push in. Mm. Cause, cause, you know, even if there's, if there's outward pressure on those, on that structure from the ice, it probably won't break it, but then you know it's not as much.
1: Yeah. Cause it's got a place to go. Yeah. Right. Yeah. That's a great idea. See, I don't live in a place where we have to think that way. That's why people swim, ask me about I a winter somewhere
2: with winter once, so.
1: So I'm dropping the link again. If you want to join join me in the call, you guys can, but you just have to have a mic and a video capability and things like that. Like I said, we are shooting from the hip today, guys. Um, there's a pretty good speed of chat coming in, so if you've asked something and I haven't or Nicole hasn't talked about it yet, go ahead and drop it in again. Um, when I try to scroll, what happens is other people start doing comments and the thing, which, you know, what it makes me wonder, Nicole, if we ever grow up and blow up as big as like Alton Brown or yeah. Ken Berry or some shit on YouTube, if you ever watch the chat that rolls in on those guys, it's like impossible. I don't even know what people are talking to each other because it's like, <sighs> I kind of like having 100, 200 people like you could actually keep up with them.
2: I, th- I think I think you end up needing a moderator who's not on screen who can yeah. really hit it yeah. for
0: you.
1: Okay, let's see this. No. The answer to this is no. You cannot free mine float by being on float, right? So Robert Tuber says, is float activity grandfathered for tokens, or do we have to wait for the tokens to launch? You must wait for the tokens to launch to earn the tokens.
2: However, if you build a following now and a presence now, you'll be well-positioned when the tokens launch to make money.
1: Oh look who's here!
2: I wish somebody would do a series on how to use Float well and how to grow your presence. Oh, that's I a know, great actually. idea. <laughs> yeah, that's. that's a pretty, good. I know good, this yeah. guy. He
1: started doing that, and now the jerk, he's going on vacation. Yeah. And I don't know if he'll do one today or not. But okay. If you go to Float and search for hashtag Float Tips, you'll. See, they're the best. I'm, I'm going to do more, and I'm going to do about ten total. And I'm going to quit doing this. But they're the two best ones I already have. Like, I, I might come up with something better, but if you do the two that I gave already, you, it, they're going to help. And Nicole's right. Like, this is the time. So think about it this way. Instead of, like, I want to be grandfathered for what I already did. If you knew a new altcoin was coming out and it was going to be stupid easy to mine in the beginning because it was going to have huge emissions in the beginning, when do you start building your mining rig? The day it launches? Or now? So it's plugged in and you're just sitting there going, go ahead. I dare you, right? And then you turn it on the second it's available. Um, So that's what I kind of look at, like, building your float presences right now. And speaking of building your float presence, we have been (laughs) graced with the presence of Toolman Tim, who has a a float presence. Tim, welcome to whatever the hell we're doing today. I
3: really don't know what it is. (laughs) Morning. I feel like I haven't left. I did a two-hour live stream last night, and I was up prepping content for – this month coming and you were on i said frank i gotta get on with these guys so how are you guys good yeah, great we're Thank hanging you. out I here really like- you
2: few coffee this week
3: finally. hey no i'm no rush so no listen. we are
2: we are going we, i have to go to the post office to get it to you and i have somebody to help me do that this week so we're doing
0: it
3: totally totally fine i've
2: roasted this guy's orders jack three times and then uh, never got to the post office.
3: It, you know, it's crazy because it takes like six weeks to get here on Carrier Pigeon and then it goes through, you know, China and sea cans and the whole work. Yeah, so yeah. I got to actually, this is the one I was drinking out of last night, Jack, right here. Where is it? Oops. There we go. Fluent and sarcasm. So oh,
2: are we going to do a sarcasm bit? Yeah. yeah.
3: So are you going to Float Fest this year, Nicole?
2: I'm planning to go to Float Fest unless something happens. I I would like to find a camper to rent. um, And I don't want to give
3: away too much information, but is there a good chance that your spring workshop is going to be the same weekend as last year?
2: It's the last weekend of April,
3: yeah. So the weekend before Float Fest? I thought Float Fest was in March. No, that well, unless they change it. I just seen the other day. It looks like anyway. This is our plan. The missus yeah. is all excited that we might end up going to yours and then Float Fest the next weekend.
2: Yeah, the problem so, is if that happens, I might have a hard time making Float Fest. We'll, that'll become a we'll see.
3: I know, yeah. I get it. We, and with us having to travel, you know, five thousand miles to go anywhere. Anyway, yeah, we got to knock out so as many things as we May, can. They're doing it in May because
2: mine is like literally that last weekend of April. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Anyway, yeah. real quick,
3: we'll
1: continue for a minute and then we'll bring Jason. On. Jason, we see you. We will bring you on in a bit.
2: Cool.
3: Uh, float. A tip for Float, Jack, or at least I, I don't think I've heard you mention it yet. If you're new on Float, add a picture and do a description in your profile <laughs> because I'm way more likely to add you if you're not that generic little profile man or woman picture, you know? Yeah, that's good on all social media.
1: If you're a piece of toast or a taco on Meatly, <laughs> I'm probably not <laughs> accepting your friend <laughs> request, right? I mean, no. I mean, come on. Like, any, Like, if you're shy – and you don't want to put your mug up there, I don't know, put your mug up there, right? And I'm holding a coffee mug for those on the audio. Like, put a picture of your homestead up there. A lot of people put pictures of their kids. If you're smart and you have a hot wife, put a picture of your wife up there. Like, you know, I I wish it wasn't true, but like I can have the best composting video that there is on YouTube, and I do. It is, Mm -hmm. you actually want to know how to make compost. And it has, after like eight years, it has like, 50,000 views in eight years, right? But there's a video that always comes up associated with my video, and it's a really good-looking girl, and she's making compost, and she has no idea how to make compost. She has, like, 14 million views to her video. (laughs) So pictures work. I don't know what the picture needs to be of, but I'm just saying that pictures make a difference. Like, why do you think, like, all the badass YouTubers and badasses like Nicole now get thumbnails made, right? Right? I don't do it. I should, but like definitely your profiles. Make sure you have something there and a description. Yeah, absolutely. Hey, let's bring Jason on for a bit because since he okay. showed up, we're going to be Brady Bunch here soon. Hey, Jason. Jason. Hey. Howdy. How nice. are you?
4: I am well. What's going on, bro? Taking a, taking a little break from building uh, um, a Barn Dominium, just like your guy uh, you had on the other day, Jack. <laughs> cool. Cool. How long
2: have you been working on that?
4: Uh, since April. Cool. Winter is coming. Yeah, yeah. We, oh. uh, we did the whole camper, lived in a camper for, uh, I don't know, 14 months now. Winter wasn't that big a deal. Uh, it was a lot worse in summer it's in South Carolina here. It got, wow. so, but we got the spray foam insulation on, so it makes it at least uh, a nice space to be in.
1: Very cool, man. So when do you think you're going to be able to move into the Barn Dominium?
4: are we're pretty much using it. (laughs) Okay. All right. No, I, I'll be completed by the uh, Thanksgiving. So awesome. Yeah. Yeah. And I, uh, I know you had, like I had put forward that question about the, the fuel prices. (laughs) Yeah. I had just gotten a wood stove delivered today (laughs) to to install. Good move.
3: What was your biggest mistake, Jason building the burn dominium so far?
4: Wow. That's a, that's a good question. Um, Well, you know, I, I, we do live in an area that does have to follow county code, um, though they're pretty relaxed. However, uh, I just installed the windows throughout that that we that I've always had on other buildings, um, other houses, and turns out the bedroom windows—I never checked—the um, egress has to be larger than those, so I had to rip all the windows back out mm. in the bedrooms and replace the bigger windows, and I'm like. Who makes this? I mean, like, who can't fit through this window that is, you know, ju- like, you can just step through it to the ground. It's it's the first floor.
2: America's getting fatter.
4: That is probably. Yeah.
2: Therefore, codes need to change, apparently, instead of the this, other solution.
1: This is how much, how much fatter America's getting. So a few years ago, the dude named Jamie Oliver, he's a British chef, well-known, been around for a few decades, did a show on basically how fat America's getting. And he went to this town in West Virginia. I don't remember what it's called, but it's the fattest town in America. And a local DJ kind of took exception to, like, calling out their town as the fattest town in America, even though it totally was. So this guy was, like, his enemy. So he tries to make him his friend. And what won the guy over, he had the guy meet him at a funeral home. And he showed him the size of caskets that we have to make today. And this DJ, like, his jaw drops. And he's like, oh, He's like, I'm not trying to pick on your town, man. I'm trying to save lives. And he just stared at that casket. That, so that's, I guess they want that guy, but how is that guy going to get through the window anyway? I don't mean to pick on anybody, but I just don't, I think if you are that big, you're probably not going over
3: a bulldozer.
2: I love the comment in chat. Yet airline seats are getting smaller.
1: Yes, they are. Yes,
0: they are. <laughs>
1: there was a proposal a while back. That if you weighed over a certain weight and you wanted to fly on an airplane, you had to buy two seats. I Again, I don't want to pick on anybody for their weight. I don't think that's right. I had my own struggles with weight. It took real commitment to change that part of my life. However, I do believe in personal space and I do believe in property rights and property rights are ownership rights. They're also lease rights. Right. So if I lease a piece of property, I have every right to tell you to stay off my property until so my lease is up or I fail to make payment to my landlord, right? I look at a seat on an airplane as I have leased the space between these two bars on both sides of me. If you're encroaching into my space, I feel you're trespassing on my leased space. And I, I just see that as a very logical thing. I know plenty of people are probably offended by that, but don't I have a right to the space? I, I just paid the airline $400 to sit in a chair in the sky. For two and a half hours don't i have a right to not have another party in my space like i'm not talking about a, a shoulder that's up against but i'm talking about people that spill over that just seems like yeah you should have to buy two seats you're using two seats maybe if they let me buy two seats i would buy two seats right because then i would just lift the thing up and just max out you know yeah maybe i should do that if i can't get um first class next you time. You totally man. should. You totally should make <laughs> sure they're next. Me and time. Dorothy would just buy three seats. Yeah. And just put the armrests up. that's a, that's probably cheaper than first class, but you don't get free drinks and free baggage and stuff. That's why we're that's one of the main reasons we're driving to Florida for this vacation, right? Like one is we're just tired of the airline shit with the masking and all the other crap. But but two is I don't know what happened, but first class airfare went through the freaking roof. I don't know if everybody discovered it made sense to do or, or whatever, but usually like if a coach tickets like 250 and we're buying well in advance, we pay like 750, 800, which is a premium, but we only fly twice a year. So, okay. It's, it's totally worth it. It's three times the cost and 10 times better. That's good value to price. This year it was almost $2,000 a piece to upgrade to first class. And I'm like, you know what? I could take $4,000. This is back to math, right? And I just leased a, a Toyota truck for $7,000, one payment for two years. Really nice loaded out, uh, Tacoma, Tacoma, whatever the smaller one is, Tacoma, I think. And, uh, so 4,000 of that. And then, you know, the airlines, when they add their fees and shit, that would have been 4,500 bucks. So I, the way I look at it, I just leased that truck for $2,500 for two years. Because I wasn't going to drive my Outback or my sports car to Florida with all our stuff, right? So, like, start doing creative math, guys. Like, I know you have to have, like, some level of income to do things that way, but that's usually how you get some level of income is thinking like that way in the first place.
2: That was my same justification for buying a better car. I was going to have to rent cars three times between now and the end of the year. It was going to be, you know, whatever, three times, 400 1200 bucks, 1200 And I was like, okay, we'll just add $1,200 to the budget because... Now I don't have to run a car if I get this thing.
1: I think Nicole's business model needs to be: she should find a car she can't kill. <laughs> she should go Outbacks, and nobody like fucking people that live in Colorado and New, up, up, up New York State, right? They, they they run Outbacks all winter long. Don't give them maintenance. Don't do, don't kill them. Nicole's killed two Outbacks, so she needs to go find a car she can cannot kill, and then needs to go to that car company and say, "I want an endorsement deal." Because I totally kill Outbacks, right? And if a car deal – a car car maker doesn't take that deal, there's something wrong with them. Because being able to go out and say, the person that kills Outbacks can't kill our car, that's a winning marketing message. I'm telling you right now. Like, I don't know how you kill Outbacks. Are you buying them with, like,
2: 300,000 miles on them or something? No, no. I bought them both brand new. Oh, my goodness. I think part of it is the (laughs) – Actually,
1: nobody can believe it. That's like saying (laughs) you died in a Volvo, right? Like, it just –
2: you know, maybe it didn't like it that I dragged all my belongings in a trailer over the Rockies, one of them. I can get that. Yeah, especially with a four.
1: Trip. Was it a four-cylinder? It was a
2: four, yeah. I should never oh, have another four-cylinder God. car as long as I live. Yeah, the, the head gasket, and then everything else breaks, and then the head gasket went twice, and I was like, you're done.
1: God, those boxer motors, they're, they're
2: tanks. I,
1: yeah, you need that deal. You just need to find a car you can't yeah. kill. We'll and see how like-
0: the
2: Tahoe does.
1: Yeah, I should do well.
2: It has a V8. I probably can't kill it.
1: So what's up, Tim? What are you doing for maintenance? Like, people asked me earlier about winter maintenance for the home. And I got to get maintenance on. I was like, well, it's Texas, so we take – like, you're where it actually fucking gets – like, I wouldn't live there. It's too fucking cold.
3: Oh, like 10 minutes, man, in the dead of winter, which is minus Not
1: everybody on the feed knows you. We get people here that are not on the podcast.
3: Sorry, man. Yeah, yeah. We're um, uh right in east-central Alberta. So when you look up at the prairies and you see those big, flat, kind of-looking provinces, which are our versions of states, we're like Jack likes to say, I live pretty close to Santa Claus, and it's true. Like, we're, you know, we, it gets cold enough for long enough here that when the power goes out in the middle of winter, you have minutes or maybe an hour or two before the shit really goes sideways. You know what I mean? Like, it's, yeah, so... We just had last weekend was uh Canadian Thanksgiving and that's kind of our official get winter shit done um yeah. because like i we've had snowflakes it got down to 19 degrees Fahrenheit here already yet yesterday it was like 85 but anyway it, it that's weird for us but you know for me it was winterize the camper clean the hot tub out one more time put away all the the summer outdoor furniture uh make sure all your pathways are clear because man I want to tell you something <laughs> Joe that's awesome if I got to tell you if you leave something on the ground in my area once it freezes it's there till friggin spring and if it's a damn dog toy and you're going to trip over it Something about preparedness is prevention, man. And make sure you got your pathways absolutely clear. And I do because the last thing you want to do is suck up an extension cord in your snowblower or be tripping over a damn frozen dog toy all winter. Uh So make sure your pathways are clear.
1: Yeah. And I guess I would add like if you live in a place where you normally don't have this, like we do, like certain things aren't built for when it does happen like it did last year. So like really pay attention to things like the giant roof over my head that's relatively flat for snow loads. Like we didn't actually, like people called it the ice storm and snowmageddon and shit like that. It didn't actually snow much and it didn't actually ice much. Had it done so, I would have been crawling through the window upstairs and shoveling the roof off. Right. Oh, like, yeah. like, because we don't have, we're not, I'm not going to be building severe pitched roofs everywhere in this state. It doesn't make sense to build to something that happens once every hundred years. If it really sacrifices something like this beautiful porch that I'm underneath right now. But then you have to be ready for that once in a century, once in a generation event, right?
3: Uh, A landscape and rake, if you have one of those, they're a really good substitute for a roof rake. Like up here, of course, we use roof rakes all the time. We don't get a ton of snow, believe it or not. It's just so darn cold (laughs) up here but when we do we've got those long like 16 foot poles with a flat piece on them that you can get up and pull the snow off without killing yourself but uh, if you got a landscaping rake or even a like a heavy duty garden rake flip it over backwards so you're not using your tines to dig into the roof material and it it can save you a fair bit of trouble or you, if you can get at a window and push on it a lot of times just pushing on it's enough to get it started Hey, Jason, you're
1: sitting there in a half-built barn of Minium, and I can see the, the studs of the steel studs of the wall <laughs> behind you. Um, you're in South Carolina. It's not that cold, but it's colder than it gets here. Is there anything you're doing because you won't be complete to make sure you guys get through winter okay?
4: Yeah, we, um, I made sure to uh, go ahead and top off. We, I got a number of uh, propane tanks, uh, whether it be 20- or 30-pound ones. Um, I do have a propane heater if need be. Uh, like I said, I got the wood stove going. Um, really it's, it's just, I'm just so focused on getting through this house (laughs) to have it done. And then in, you know, in the event that any powers goes out, but I do have, you know, three generators, um, to, to, you know, link to, if I need to, um, worried about, well, like a lot like John Dowie, we got a, uh, microgreens farm that I, uh, upcycled a shipping, I don't know, five, six years ago, um that we grow in there that I can just go ahead and link up to the, the uh, generator. That's, I, I really just want to keep our cash flow. If, if everything.
0: Uh,
2: you know, gotcha. it's kind of funny how, if you get comfortable camping or living out of a camper, how things like winter is coming are a lot less scary. Cause you're like, man, I've had to carry water from a Creek before. So I don't, I don't care so much. I do care about pipes freezing. We do something called the no kill list here where we go. How do we keep humans and animals alive, and then we expand out to comfort when we're getting ready for yeah, winter? I, I see a familiar face here.
1: Yeah. What I, up. I, I, uh, I didn't realize that we had so many people coming on that I actually had to scroll down to see people waiting to come on. So I'm here, Goat and Charles, like, come on. What come the on. hell, man? Ladies and what gentlemen, on the Survival weird.
5: Podcast and our live feed, Charles, the humble mechanic. Good Welcome, morning, Kyle. everyone. I hope you all are doing awesome today.
3: Morning, Charles. How are you?
5: Good. It is, uh, what day is today? Today's Monday. Um, and I am, uh, li- <laughs> I've been editing a TikTok all morning, has, uh, has been the riveting thing of my morning, which sounds awful. Um, <laughs> and if you create content, you, you probably are well aware that it is infinitely harder to create a one minute piece of content than a 20 minute piece of content. Uh, it didn't help that Final Cut is being glitchy and like, showing all of the behind the scenes stuff in my final render but whatever um it is a it is a very lucrative opportunity uh is all i can really say so uh worth worth the challenge and then i'm kind of biding my time for about 20 more minutes before my massage appointment so i live in a rough life i gotta tell you
3: yeah, I I got to say, as far as massage appointments go, I went to a chiropractor this year for the first time in April, never been there, turned 40 and my back went out on me, right? So I uh, I uh went to one, Becky's like, you got to go because I wrecked my back moving to dentist office uh, earlier this year. I thought I was going to like need surgery or something. Two trips to the chiropractor and he had me fixed straight up. So I'm telling I, you.
5: I wish I could go back and tell my like 24 year old self not to be a macho dipshit and like... <laughs> go get a massage and take good care of your body because unlike you at 24 that think you're like, you're tough and you can handle that, you know, almost 20 years of laying under dashes and having like working like mm-hmm. this all the time is murder on your body. So, um, yeah, if you're questioning like, should I go, should I spend the 80 bucks or whatever? Yes. It's an easy answer. Do it. Yes.
3: And when you your back to hurts more. everything.
1: That's a good point. Like Somebody asked me the last time I did one of these, Friday, I think was, if you could go back and tell your former self not to do certain things or to do certain things, what would you tell yourself? And my overall answer was mostly nothing, because it would screw up where I ended up.
3: Now, that I think
1: about what he just said, I would probably have a list of about 20 items. (laughs) And it would say, these 20 things, when you decide to pick them up, don't. Mm -hmm. Because I don't think that would screw up my timeline, right? Like, I think I would still end up in the same place, but I would do it with less pain. And that's probably like, there's certain things you shouldn't pick up. I'm thinking of a dresser in particular that like wrenched my back and it was bad for like three months. I'm sure it's still unhappy. And maybe, maybe like the, the, the jump I did in an the, in the army where I got tangled in the guy in front of me static line. Let somebody in front of you in the stick, right? <laughs> Those are two things I think would have made my body better today, but I don't think they would have like, drastically altered like the fact that i have a wife kids grandkids the survival podcast or whatever uh yeah take care of yourself guys don't, don't you're gonna, you're your older selves not going to come back and tell you but your older self one day is going to be like you were fucking stupid younger self like you'll be in the same place at the same time you just won't have the opportunity to go back you you are still the 10 year old kid inside of your head right like you are everything you ever were plus everything that you are now and you will become everything you will become until you become dirt, right? Like, that's true. You don't get to have that conversation in the past, but you will have that conversation in the present and you will talk to yourself nasty, man. Like, every time you get up, you're like, ah, remember that in 1994? <laughs> <laughs> the pains I have that I can literally go back to like the genesis of the pain. I
3: it's, hired 20-year-olds to do the heavy lifting now.
1: Yeah, Sorry. they're stupid. They don't know.
5: and they're not going to listen to you when you tell them to be smarter about that kind of stuff anyway so that's just what you do at 20 i mean that's what i did at 20 i was an idiot you don't have to feel bad because you know if you told them hey wait
1: for somebody to help you with that they're gonna be like no man i got it and do it anyway so you like you literally have no impact on that decision so you just let them do it and the shit gets done and you pay them their bill and then they're good yeah Yeah. Sounds awful but it's true like I think that uh, I think that we have to, honest to God, like having conversations about the way things are instead of the way things should be more and more. Like I've been listening to the Sailor series that Robert Breedlove did on uh, Bitcoin, and it's so like half of it actually is about Bitcoin, and half of it's about the world. And he talks about the predatory nature of the world and why, like, when you go out to the Serengeti in Africa and you take pictures as a tourist, every animal is beautiful. It's in the prime of its life. It is glorious. Like, every, there's no mangy lions. There's no limping gazelles. You go to a zoo, there's mangy lions, limping gazelles, etc. because it's not real. And he's like, what people don't realize is the reason everything looks so beautiful in nature is when it's not, it gets killed or it dies. Like, that's the reality. And, like, we're not discussing reality. So, like, what we just discussed about 20-year-olds picking up heavy shit that shouldn't. It doesn't matter. You can make all the OSHA laws. You can tell them to put their weight belt on. Are they going to do it? You guys have. Is
5: any? Are any of them going to do it? They're not. A bit. <laughs> not until they get caught. Then they'll do it once. And then as soon as the boss isn't looking, the belt goes off. Hearing protection, eye protection in the trash, and you're right back to your idiot twenty year old self. Coming from someone who was a super idiot. Oh, I was twenty two. I don't know. <laughs> Today,
1: I the is- <laughs> guns that was an idiot. You'll notice if you're right handed that your left ear has less hearing than your right because your head forms a cone and you take most of it in the left ear. Mm-hmm. Anybody that has bad one sided hearing in general, they're like a gun enthusiast that didn't understand that hearing protection actually had a purpose. Yeah. Well, I don't need hearing protection when I'm shooting skeet. It's just skeet. It's just a shotgun. Oh, Oh, so you're going to go out and you're going to blow through 75 shells in three hours and you don't think you need hearing protection. Okay.
2: I don't know. The flip side of that is if you've never shot a gun without hearing protection on and then you need to, that's, that's a shocking experience.
1: That's true. But you don't need to do it a bunch. Yeah. You don't <laughs> need to do it a bunch.
2: And that one time will damage.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Stick to something, you know, 22-ish, right? You know, <laughs> <It's> <laughs> 38. Bad. 38. 22 is not bad. I yeah, you come, to I got here out of one ear. That's why I'm so fucking loud. Uh, but I, I don't think I've ever worn hearing protection shooting a 22 and only a 22. Uh, and I, maybe a handgun, cause a handgun has a louder report than a long barrel of a rifle. I don't know that that's necessary. I mean, I, I don't, I, there's many rounds as I fired through 22 rifle in my life. If it was, I probably couldn't hear at all. I I mean, I'm talking like when I was a kid, I would go through a brick a week or half a brick a week, 250 rounds a week, like all summer long. And I never had any problems with it. So everything else, anything you go above that, put the ears on, guys.
3: (laughs) We got a little 50-yard indoor range here in my town, and uh, the the walls are made out of uh, railway ties. And even the even the 22 in there that can give you an awful report. Sometimes you know, just right up in the Indoors ears.
1: Indoor different. Oh yeah, but I'm Indoors. stupid. I I
3: I still don't wear breathing masks when I deal with dust or mold as much as I should either, right? So stupid. Yeah, that's where you should wear a mask. Oh, I know. Not to prevent the
4: virus,
1: <laughs> but dust, right? Like. Yeah, I, I had to learn that the hard way, like certain things like if you're running a grinder or um, a sander, like a belt sander or something, like put a freaking mask on. Even if it is just a, a, a gator or something, like you don't want to breathe that crap in.
5: You know you should have wore a mask when you're done doing the thing and you blow your nose and it's like black <laughs> or green or some unnaturally <sighs> terrible color. You're like, oh, yeah, I, sh- I should have done that. I'll do it next time. You know, I had a buddy that used to make trailers, and he was
1: painting one of these big trailers he made for a customer one time. And I go over, and he was kind of had a cold and stuff. He starts coughing, and he spits on the ground, and it's yellow, and I don't mean it's not yellow. It was trailer yellow. I'm like, dude, you're breathing paint. He goes, ah, it comes out. I'm like, you know, as a guy that grew up in the coal region, had a great uncle and a grandfather with black lungs. Watch those guys cough, cough up black coal dust 40 years after they had been in a mine. I'm suggesting that maybe you take this a little bit more seriously because I don't know what paint does, but it seems in a way worse than coal. Like, you know, like you just wonder if like if you did a CAT scan of the guy's lungs, if it would be like when they put that dye in you to make it stand out. Like you'd see like all his like, you know, his trachea and shit like lit up with yellow because he, it, it, it was like, like cat yellow. Like, you know, they paint the cat machines with like that color yellow. It looked like it looked like somebody squirted a a tube of like artist thick paint on the ground. I'm like, that that can't be good. Take care of yourself, folks.
2: I think it kills brain cells, too, because I had an uncle who worked in a paint factory and they had to wear hardcore respirators there because of brain damage that could happen year over year. And then,
1: if you get the brain damage, you're less concerned about the thing you should be concerned about you until <laughs> you get more brain damage. It's, it's like the guys I went to high school with. that went into auto body repair, got on speed, and they're like, "So I buy speed so I can work harder, so I can make some more money, so I can buy more speed." And you're like, "You see the problem there, guys? Like, they, they, they I don't see the no, point." They where they do Off this ride, right? Like, it, until you like your teeth fall out and you die, or you end up in prison for the rest of your life. But what can you do? Again, I think we need to have more conversations about the way things are than the way we think they should be so that the people that haven't made the bad decisions yet can make the right decisions. You know, like it's a predatory world out there. And if you breathe paint, you're going to burn your brain out. If you breathe coal dust, you're going to end up an old broke down miner coughing up black shit 40 years after you were in a mine, you know, or my grandfather, I always thought he was the toughest man in the world, but I'm sure it wasn't worth the experience. He had lumps of coal in his right arm from a collapse of it like pieces in his arm. And I used to be like, grandpa, why don't you get that out? He goes, probably hurt more to get it out than it's worth. Like, like God damn, man. And those folks, how much harder was that generation than we are? I mean, really like, you know, um, I can't see anybody being like that today. And maybe that's good and bad both, right? Like it's good that they were hard, but it was like being hard also led to some really bad decisions. I've heard some horror stories about like, guys who were in the military that went down into tanks of chemicals to, like, you know, open a drain or something and then died of cancer, like, a couple of years later. Like, it, you, you, no one really needs to tell you from OSHA, hey, that's a chemical that's used to, like, remove paint. Maybe you shouldn't scuba dive in it. But they did it. They just <laughs> did whatever needed to be done. And maybe the little bit of that that was in us is why all of us have these pains and aches and what in our body, right? Because we didn't we got that ethic, but we didn't get that like intelligence of, Hey, don't do this. It's not. <laughs> Charles, is thinking something he did. Charles is thinking of something he did right there. Like there's a specific, event. <laughs> I'm,
5: I'm, I'm remembering, I'm remembering many, many years ago, um, being too lazy to pull a car in before I left for the day, uh, you know, for the evening or whatever. And like, oh, I'll take care of it tomorrow. And then, Having to limp this car in in the morning. I'm in North Carolina, right? So it doesn't get like super cold. Um, but it's still when it's 25 degrees out and you limp, um, a car in that you have to replace the fuel pumps in the fuel is 25 degrees. It's not frozen. So I'm, I'm picturing myself, this is a, a saddle style tank and a TORAG. So one hand in this fuel hole, one <laughs> hand in this fuel hole, trying to reach them together. In gasoline, right? Because of course the, you gotta work on the fuel system, so the tank's full of gas. Um fidgeting around with lines for an hour, miserable gloves, right? Latex gloves, which if you don't know what happens to latex gloves when you get fuel on them, they go from fitting your hand to just swelling and then just disintegrating away. Um and it, like, I can, as I'm saying that, I can feel that pain in my hand. <laughs> Among other 8 billion dumbass things that I've done, uh, done throughout the years. So, man, I, you know, Jack, you're talking about like, talking about how it is versus how it should be. And the how it should be is always such a cool conversation. Like, yes, it would be awesome. And, and this is something I tried to, and still try today to talk to the upcoming mechanics and people working on their car. And I work in the European car world, so everything's upside down compared to how it should be, right? <laughs> Um, And it's like, look, we can talk till we're blue in the face about how things should be. I enjoy those conversations because it leads to cool thought experiments. But us talking about how it should be doesn't change this thing that we need to do right now and get fixed and get this customer on the road or the car out of here or whatever. So let's talk about it but ultimately understand that that shit doesn't matter at all. Let's fix this. This is our problem. How do we solve it? Move on to the next thing. And it boggles my mind that it's so hard it's so hard for people to accept that like okay that's it let's just do the thing but also like it took a long time in my career for me to truly understand that everybody else isn't me so nobody else sees things the way I do uh and I've often felt that like if you're up here in in a, in a job to me, you're probably smarter than I am. So if I can figure this out, you're smarter than me. Why can't you? Um, also, welcome to the Charles Rambling Hour. I'll go on <laughs> for days if you if you let me. But focusing on how it is in an immediate right now is vital. We can focus on how it should be to get there, but it doesn't get us there until we get this problem solved now. And I wish people could could like accept that in their life and practice it, too, because it makes life way easier. Yeah. And we have got
1: we got some, GP says he knows a guy that bathed his arms in methanol tanks at the end of every shift to get the ink off his uh, ink off his arms every night for years. Not surprisingly, he eventually died of cancer. So that would make me think I don't know how many people are my age listening to this or a little bit older. But, I mean, I remember being a kid in the 80s, and if you worked on a car or something, you got grease all over your hands and stuff that wouldn't come off with Dawn or whatever. (laughs) What did you do? You had your buddy dump a couple ounces of gasoline out of the gas can on your hand, and then you did go and wash your hands. And, like, we don't do that anymore. But I wonder how much of that has played into health problems over the years. Because we did it when we were kids. We were the last generation to do it. But, like, my dad's generation, they washed their hands with gasoline from the 1930s all the way through the, the 80s and 90s.
5: But Jack, it still guessing. happens. It still happens today. I had a guy here. um So I don't have any AC equipment. So I called a local guy to evacuate the refrigerant out of a car before I worked on it. Because if I evacuate R134A into the atmosphere, it's a $10,000 fine for me because I'm certified to work on it. So I was like, yeah. let me just pay this dude 40 bucks. Yeah, uh, weirdly, weirdly enough, he's the husband of my massage therapist. Um, so runs a local mechanic business. Awesome, dude. So he comes and he does it. And I see him grab the can of brake clean when he's done and go like this. I'm like, bro, I have a sink right here. Like I have the high end, nice soap that makes your hands smell and feel good. I got a sink right here. He's like, nah, man, it's fine. I'm like, no, dude, like for real, just please for me, just wash your hands in the sink. That is literally feet from where you're standing. He's like, are you sure? I'm like, that's why yes. it's there. Please, please, please do this. Like, we're, like, I get it. You know, it's, that's what you do. You're on a job site and then you whip the can out. Shh, shh, you're clean, but man,
3: oh, we don't have to do those kind of things. Yeah. My gr- my grandfather ran an alternator generator shop for like 30 years and the only time I seen his hands clean were when he was in his casket. They were pitch black from the time I was born till the time he passed away and he had grease on them all the time, never wore gloves, nothing. And it was it was unreal. I didn't even know. I mean, I, it sounds funny, but I didn't even know that his hands could be clean and that just simple, just dirty all the time from grease and alternators and stripping them all apart.
1: You know, Hayes, just kind of switching gears to a new subject here, keeping it variety, says, has anybody uh, studied the great year cycles? And he's talking about kind of the ebb and flow of humanity and, like, the rise and fall of all civilizations. This is, again, where I suggest people go back and, and watch the Sailor series or listen to the podcast version of it with Breedlove. And they're like, it's the first or second episode. They talk a lot about the Roman Empire. And, you know, there's all these things that they talk about to draw corollaries today, but it was more the way that things were run and the attitude of people that destroyed it than anything else. At, the, at its height, people would die for Rome. You didn't have to conscript soldiers. Like, people wanted to defend the empire. They believed in something. And leaders only led for a few years. They were elected, and then their service ended, and then somebody else came, and it was very egalitarian. You know, and at the time, like the height of a man's ability was about, you know, late 20s to early 40s. And everybody that was in charge was in that age bracket because they needed military leadership. And then they made emperors out of people that were in their 40s that had been through combat and their soldiers didn't kill them. Right. Their soldiers did not kill them. And that was one vetting process. Like if I send you off to lead uh, a couple legions and you come back alive, not just because the enemy didn't kill you, Because you weren't a drunkard, asshole, moron, and your soldiers weren't like, yeah, you know what? Freaking General Jack, he's got to freaking go, you know? Yeah, a horse ran over him, right? Yeah, (laughs) three guys riding horses over him back and forth. But we just say you got run over by a runaway horse, right? And they brought you home, and you got your honors and shit, but you were dead? Well, you didn't didn't ever become emperor, right? Or you didn't even become a high-level consulate because, hey, we can't trust you. Your men killed you, right? We know that, right? So, like, that was Rome at its height and by the time it started falling apart that entire system of egalitarianism and meritocracy had died and that was more important than debasing the money and all the things that we try to draw across to today and what makes that scary as shit is it took like 300 years for that to happen in rome it's taken like 50 Hmm. for that Hmm. to happen in america right And, and and if you don't like that corollary to me is far more dark and far more scary then the corollary of, oh, they started making bronze coins instead of silver coins. Like what Saylor was saying is the reason they started making bronze coins is because they did that first and that was their only out once they did that. And he wasn't basically saying the Romans were great guys. He's just saying it worked and then it didn't. Here's why. And when I look around America, like, man, if you want to talk like, like we have, you know, what really destroyed Rome the last emperor that really put the knife in it, what came after the best was Marcus Aurelius, his son Commodus, right? Like the empire never recovered from Commodus. We have senile Commodus in the white house, right? Like instead of young <laughs> Commodus, we have senile Commodus running the country now into the ground intentionally. I guess Commodus did it for debauchery. Senile potato salad in chief is doing it because he's being told what to do, but either way we're screwed. Like, and that's part of what we need to be prepared for is some some piece of this is going to become like barbarian remnant. And we're going to have to put this shit back together. And that's why, I, you know, I love what Nicole's doing. Nicole's building. community. So we all need to be doing one level or another is building community where we are. I was talking to somebody from where I grew up in Pennsylvania and they're still there and they were talking about how bad things were. And they really said, I don't I mean, I know the drugs moved in and all and because there's heroin everywhere in Pottsville now. And uh, in that whole part of rural Pennsylvania which is sad as fuck. But I'm like that's not really what it is. That was the result. I'm mm-hmm. like I can tell you one thing. When my grandfather and my great uncles were still around and not at the end of their life, like when they still like when they were my age, maybe a little bit older. The one thing I could say about the place is depressed what it was. People had each other's backs. And that's what died with that generation. Nobody had each other's back anymore. So then the drugs, the depression, like because it was always depressed. My grandfather's like, when the Great Depression happened, they told us there was a Great Depression. We're like, okay. And then when it ended, they told us it was over. We're like, okay. And it never changed. But yet everybody was okay. Like the the, the depression of the 1930s didn't hit freaking rural Potsville until the 1990s when people stopped having each other's backs. And that's. That's something like that is the number one thing I hope people get from the work that we do here. Right. Is that you got to you got to build that. Nicole has been exceptional at that. Right. And we need to do it in many ways. We need to do it locally. We need to do it online. We you know, like the fact that we can move product across state lines, country lines, et cetera. Like that needs to that needs to be something we keep in mind, too. I guess Charles bailed. (laughs)
2: <laughs> yeah, he, he had an appointment. He told us on the side.
1: Okay, okay cool. Now, I
2: think also we need to be like now is a time to get more purposeful about how do we communicate with each other? How do you know if you're in the network? Those sorts of things. Because when I'm looking at what happens when supply chains really crumble in a crisis, if it's a war for five years or whatever, you do get things coming in on the black market from outside. But you're going to be doing without things that you're used to having. And, you know, if you're living off a homestead, a homestead pantry, that doesn't mean you don't buy soy sauce at the grocery store every year or whatever. And those things do go away or become a lot more expensive. And so being like mindset ready to simplify what's, you know, what you're eating and be just be thankful you have enough if you if you if you even do have enough is important. And then knowing how to trade and who to trade with for things like, oh, I don't know, salt. I don't have an ocean in Tennessee. Right. <laughs> how much salt can I store a certain amount? But at some point I need to re- resupply salt. So how do I get that done? Who, you know, who who lives by the ocean or who lives near a cave that has salt or is resupplying it from elsewhere?
1: You know, and like to me, this is a big thing about skill set development, too, because most of us, maybe you don't have salt around, but you have resources, Right. And if you can develop your resources, other people can develop their resources. The vast majority of people in this country live pretty close to a coast. Yeah, they do have oceans. Salt is not hard to make. Man has been doing it for as long as man has understood salt. You put ocean water in a vessel and you let it evaporate. And guess what you get? Salt. So salt's really important. Roman soldiers at the time we were just talking about often were paid in salt or at least part of their salary was in salt. That's the root of the word salary is salt. Right. So that's valuable, but if you can develop your resources, then you can trade, or if you have something else you can trade, you can use somebody else's resources to extend your resources. So this week coming up, we're doing the skill set, uh, rewinds on my podcast. And one of them is on fishing. I won't say exactly what kind of fishing or whatever, but it's a kind of fishing that most people anywhere in the country. Up into Canada where Tim's from, et cetera, can do. Um, if it's not the fish in general that I'm talking about, there's a fish like it or similar to it or as easy to catch as it. Well, what is your best way to preserve fish if you don't have refrigeration? Salt, salt. and smoke, right? <laughs> you can come up with smoke, right? If you have salt, you're golden, right? So learning a skill like how to put food on the table fishing. And this is like, when I talk about the eighties in, in, in Pennsylvania, like, this is actually part of what I'm talking about. Like, I was allowed, we got somebody coming on, we'll have our new guest just remain quiet until we introduce him, but I'm going to go ahead and bring you on so I don't forget you're down there. Um, I could go fishing anytime I wanted during the summer, but I better bring fish home, right? Or I better have at least tried. I can't <laughs> say I was going fishing and go screw off with, with my uh, friends all day long. And I've got your mic muted, dude. I'll, I'll bring you back on in a second because you got your settling down there. Um I, I couldn't do that. If I came home with a stringer full of fish, did I better then go out and clean and put all the waste under my grandmother's road bushes or in the garden. I was good. Like, I was good. If I came back and they're like, where's fish? And I said I didn't catch any. Like, somehow your grandmother knows when you're lying, no matter what you do, no matter how good you think you got at it, right? It'd be like, Well, um, and everybody knew each other too, right? So all the parents, grandparents talks like, well, you know, you and your friends were riding your bike downtown at like two o'clock in the afternoon. How much fishing did you do? So like Mm -hmm. literally talking about a time where a kid got in trouble for not going fishing when they said they were going fishing and not because they were doing something bad just because they weren't contributing to the household. So fishing and hunting and foraging were legitimately things that we did to add to food on the table that day. To add to the freezer over winter, right? We didn't do a lot of, like, the stuff that I do now, the smoking, preserving, and stuff like that. We had a chest freezer and a generator. Um, But, like, we went deer hunting because, well, there's a 100 pounds of meat because northern deer are big. So you shoot a 200-pound deer, you end up with a 100-pound yield, right? Like, so if you had a little sister, once she turned 12, I don't want to hunt. Yeah, you're still going to hunter safety course you know why you're going to hunter safety course? So we can buy you a license and you're going to sleep in daddy's truck on the first day of deer season. And when daddy shoots a deer, daddy's going to come get you, walk you through the woods and put your tag on the deer. And then you can go hmm. back. sleep. But we're adding a deer to the family because now we have an older child who's going to eat meat. Like I literally grew up with this and you know what? It wasn't a bad experience. I didn't, it's actually the only part of my, you know, kind of like, early like 10, 12 year old up through my teens that I don't resent my childhood for fishing, hunting, foraging, that stuff. Like I think we can do with more of that. I want to introduce somebody who just joined us, Arkansas woodcutter. Hey, thanks for joining us.
3: Good morning. Thanks for letting me come on. Uh, you know, earlier we were talking about communication uh, amongst groups. And as I think all of us are aware as, as, society continues to decay in the United States. Communication is going to be one of those things that's vital. And I don't know that I've heard anybody address it, but when the grid goes down or if the grid goes down, we don't have internet communication. We don't have electronic communication. Um, The
4: forms
3: of non-electrical communication that we're used to, like local newspapers or newsletters or printed material, I don't know that the infrastructure still remains for those of us that want to stay in co- How are we going to stay in contact with each other? I guess it's a question. I have a
2: few ideas about that. And as we're becoming more formalized as what I'm going to call pods or freedom cells, if you designate one place as a bulletin board, like let's say the Holler Homestead has a bulletin board, what, what I see happening if we had like a serious outage for a long time is people travel still that's how you trade right and then you become a way station and a and a bulletin board and people can come leave messages that's that is how it happened or you send messages with people uh carrier pigeons of course we've always we've always uh, joked around we got ham radio in the comments uh that is why people are enthusiastic about it i know here we had a we had something happen where no power no internet no landline and no idea what happened. Just woke just up. Just real quick.
1: We're quick to call. Yeah. Uh, Arkansas, I've got you muted. And when you start talking, when you need to talk, raise your hand. I'll, I'll unmute you because yeah, yeah. your chicken's worse than mine. Go ahead, <laughs> Yeah.
2: So basically what happened, I drove to Walmart to find out what happened. And there was no phone, no, no, um, no internet there either. So no way to communicate. And finally, we just turned on the radio. So the radio was still able to operate. And when you see ham radio it would take i think it would take a lot to get to the point where all of that's gone right
3: mm-hmm. something's
2: good i think somebody's going to figure out how to transmit and we're going to figure out how to capture it even if we're traveling to people when you have no internet that's how we got it done
3: I think uh just redundancies in general. Like you said, like what are the chances of every system being down all at one time, right? So if you have two, three, maybe four different ways to communicate, unless and then we have way bigger problems than that. Unless everything's gone and everything's shut down, redundancy's where it's at, you know? Um, my closest or my furthest relative in my local kind of area is about ten miles away, so we're looking at maybe setting up either a CB or kind of a handheld radio type thing. Simply because if cells are out, landlines are out, then we want to have a third way of communication. And man, if you've got triple redundancy, that's usually enough. And if we don't, we have bigger problems beyond that.
1: I uh, agreed. I'm going to show my age again too. I think one of the things we're spoiled with today is what we're doing right now. We have real time live calm <laughs> across the internet. Um, we're able, like, like all wanted to come on. We had Charles earlier. Somebody else wants to come on later. We can bring somebody on. We can do this right now in real time. We are communicating with each other uh, as well as remember the old pin drop commercial from MCI, right? <laughs> when I started getting on the internet before anybody called it the internet in the eighties in Florida with my buddies and we were on like Commodore 64s, right? You didn't do this. What you did is you dialed into a bulletin board. They called them chat rooms or whatever, but they weren't any, I don't want to use that term because it didn't work like even like when you first got your AOL AOL disk and it was like, you've got mail. It didn't work even like an AOL chat board. It was one long string of information, kind of like coming into a Discord room or coming into uh, a Telegram chat at, you know, it's already happened. And if we have intermittent failures, That's the type of thing like old school bulletin boards and stuff where it's actually easy to sort through archived information. So I come on to the bulletin board and we can use hashtag technology and things like that today. And I want to know what's going on with power in Tennessee, like hashtag power in Tennessee or whatever I find that somebody's done that with. Now I can kind of group that or categorize that conversation. And if I only have Internet for four hours a day, I can still get all the information that people have been leaving behind. And I think there's going to be a really big place for things like that. If this happens, I also think that we in the prepper community have a tendency to go into the darkness and we almost want to, that's why we have all these novels and stuff that people refer to as prepper porn and this kind of doomsday mad max. There's no power anywhere scenario. And I'm like, you think that if that happens, you're really going to worry about tuning into Jack Spirko's podcast? <laughs> like, 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 Tim said we have bigger problems at that point, right? Like there are things that we prepare for and then there are things that we do our best. And then we're like, okay, as an adaptive species, if this occurs, I'm going to use the resources I have mm-hmm. to deal with it as it occurs. I can't prepare for the world to go dark, right? That's 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 not something I can actually be prepared for. I can only adapt to it. And this goes, again, I know I sound like a freaking disciple for sailor now. But he was talking about how with the Darwinian theory, people don't understand it. Most people think the Darwinian theory is the strongest, the fastest animal survives and propagates the species. That's not the Darwinian theory. The Darwinian <laughs> theory is the most adaptive species, thereby default in its environment becomes the fastest, strongest, smartest species. But it's adaptation. It's not initial, what well, we would see as strength. Cause what's strength? Right? If you, if you're going to go into space for like, three weeks without life support that little microscopic bear looking fucking thing I don't remember what you call that thing but this like a space teddy bear thing is way more adaptive than the than, than Stephen Hawking in his wheelchair right you put Stephen Hawking in a in a well he's gone now but you take uh, Neil degrasse Tyson whoever you can think of some famous smart guy or the best athlete you know Michael Jordan in his prime you put him in a vacuum for a minute he's dead. But this little bear thing can go to a vacuum and then come back to life. Or there's toads in the Serengeti that when there's a drought, they dig a hole, they bury themselves in completely dry earth. They stay down there for three freaking years, and when it rains, they come out, they reproduce, and they go back in a hole. Well, is that frog the smartest creature in its environment? No, it's the most adaptive. And so we need to start thinking about the fact that the human being is the most adaptive species that we know of in the universe. We may not be, but that we know of. The human being occupies every climate zone and every continent. We even freaking occupy Antarctica, hmm. right? Like there's nothing we cannot adapt to. So you give yourself the resources and then you give yourself the edge toward adaptation through the thought process plus the resources and building community. And we need to stop with this whole, because it, all it leads to, is what I've been on on a rant lately about just beating people up for is defeatism, right? Once a person goes into that dark place enough to think of every bad fucking thing that can happen, they're gonna like they're gonna mark us with the mark the the, the anti mark mm-hmm. of the beast, and they're not gonna let us you know go to hospitals or go to the grocery store, or whatever. Then they just give up. Then they go to the shit of well, it doesn't matter, and that's just the fucking excuse. Like there is nothing that we as a species cannot adapt to. Now as an individual, we may get taken out. You know what? That's why we leave legacies behind.
3: For I got to jump in here guys. I got to head out. Speaking of adapting, I got to go make some money and clean some windows. So Cool, man. Thanks for having me guys. Have a good day guys.
1: Good to Take see you, Tim. It, thanks for coming Take in. Care. We got about 20 minutes and I'm going to call it. My grandkids are here and it's time to get on with vacationing. But uh
2: Yeah, that that perspective actually fits with the crypto objection about what if the internet is taken out by the government? Um if that happens, we're dealing with bigger problems than how do I get to my Bitcoin. A lot of other things are not working. If if the Internet is legit shut down and never comes back on.
1: Yeah. And, you know, people mentioned ham radio. We have had successful Bitcoin transactions across ham radio network. Right. Right. Let's let's stop pretending that like cause, like people are like, well, what do you gonna do with your Bitcoin? if The internet goes out. What are you going to do with your bank account? Right. <laughs>
2: <laughs> what are you going to do with your four? How are you going to pump gas?
1: Right. How are you going to pump gas? Right. Like how is the pipeline going to move the gas? Like if, if a ransomware attack. On the financial side of the Columbia pipeline, not the mechanical side of the Columbia pipeline. If that can happen, I'm going to assume that he wants to leave.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah, he did it on his own. Okay. But if that ha- like if that can shut down the Columbia pipeline, then what do you think is going to happen if the internet shut off? Right? Because yeah. I think you need to understand, like a lot of these ransomware attacks, They didn't go in and, like, start turning valves on the pipes or something like that. All they did was shut down the ability for, like, the billing and the payroll to run. And it shuts down a pipeline, and you're worried about your Bitcoin or your your smart TV. Like, the, the, the priorities are so skewed to the stupid there. Um, And I think, again, we're back to an excuse. Since I don't want to buy Bitcoin and since I don't want to educate myself about Bitcoin, I need an excuse to shield myself. Just say I don't want to buy Bitcoin. I am totally okay with that. Right. When when people start giving me stupid excuses, that's when I'm like. And I I don't push back. Like, let's say that the Jason was telling me, I don't want to buy Bitcoin. You're not. But let's say you were because the Internet might go down. Like, I don't tell you how stupid that is for your benefit. I tell you how stupid that is for the benefit of everybody observing it so that they don't adopt your excuse in ignorance. If they want to adopt your excuse in an informed way, then that's fine. But I, the reason I correct stupid statements is for the observer, not for the ma- person making them. I'm sure Nicole does the same shit. All the
2: time. <laughs> well, anytime I'm arguing with somebody on the Internet, I'm not actually arguing with them. No. I'm having a conversation – that other people see. And if they see a reasonable uh, counter argument, then they might have that in their quiver.
1: How are you going to use your electric canner when the power goes out? Well, since I've already used my electric canner to (laughs) fucking can an entire pantry full of shit, I won't have to. (laughs) Yeah. Right. Like, I mean, and I do get objections like that. How about this one? You know what? I don't want to garden because when the shit hits the fan, the neighbors are going to come steal my tomatoes. Don't you say you don't want a garden? That's okay, right? Help your neighbor with their garden, buy from them, and then you can help defend their tomatoes or whatever. Lunatic freaking theory you have. Like, there's so much lunacy in the objection. You know, everybody says the preppers are crazy. It's the objections to actual legitimate preparedness that seem crazy to me. And I'm like, again, I grew up in a rural community where people lived off this type of mindset 30 years ago. It was normal. Honest to God, I don't know if it's still the case today, when I was in high school, do you know what didn't happen on the first day of deer season? School. (laughs) It was always a Monday. It was the Monday after Thanksgiving, and schools were closed. And the reason they were closed is nobody over 12 would be there. Like any kid under over 12, whether they hunted or not, again, they had a license and they were sleeping in the truck while dad shot a deer. Because then dad had another week to shoot another deer, right? So like I'm telling you this works because I've seen it work. And well, what about the internet? Do you think we had the fucking internet in 1984, right? Like all of this stuff's already proven. All you have to do is look back one, two generations and say, well, how did people live before we had all this? And and it becomes really evident what to do. But I think excuses are more um, more pleasing for people to make than results.
4: Yeah. Well, and the excuses fit whatever story they've built up in their mind, right? I mean, the, people generally take 40 steps to get to the, they're going to come steal all my stuff. That We just have no idea what they walk through.
1: <laughs> you know, like, people say that. I'm like, so what ha- would happen if you surrounded your garden with stinging nettles? I think they might steal your tomatoes once. Yep, exactly. Because right? most people that would steal a tomato don't know what a stinging nettle is, right? Like, yeah. People are like, I put bars on my windows. I'm like, I planted Rosa Ragusa's in front of my windows. Yeah, those
2: things are thorny. They're pretty.
1: They smell good. They're a source of vitamin C. And if you climb through that, I don't know. By the time you get in the window with that, you're going to be covered in blood. And when I open the window for the dog, he knows what to do. Like, like there, There's just so many solutions to these problems <laughs> that everybody wants to overcomplicate them.
2: Oh, sage uh, orange could make a good perimeter fence. It takes a few years to put in, though. What, what can? Oh, sage orange. Oh, hell yes. Yeah, I'm collecting um, seeds this year for a part of my property that I'm tired of trying to figure out how to fence.
1: Ben Franklin said that it made a fence that was hog-tight.
2: Yeah, that's right. and I have and it, hogs.
1: <laughs> if you have something that's hog-tight, it's human-tight, right? Like maybe somebody can climb over a ladder or something, but that's impedance. Yeah. And then also, like, one of the real purposes of fencing a property is because then when somebody's on it that's not supposed to be on it, you know what they can't say? I didn't know. I'm lost. No, you're not lost. You're trespassing. In fact, the most effective sign I've ever seen on a gate in my life was a hunting place that was only open on weekends. So the guy lived in town and he came and he ran this, his hunting ranch on weekends and the sign said, you're not lost. You're trespassing. And I was supposed to be there. Like I, I would have had enough, you know, and the gate wasn't open yet. The guy wasn't there yet. And I looked at that sign and I'm like, maybe I should wait. Back in the other side of the dirt road until I see him go back in there and follow. Like, I got a pit in my stomach and I was supposed to be there because it took away that excuse, even though I was supposed to be there. So when you fence a property and then somebody's on it, well, now we have an intruder. We don't have a lost person, right? Lost people go to the gate and yell, help me, I need help. They don't climb over fences with carpets or whatever. If anybody wants to know how to do what Nicole's doing, it's really easy. You collect those sage oranges and you put them in a bucket of water and they fall apart and all the seeds come out And you plant them like every foot along where you want your fence and since they grow all the time on their own don't grow and you let them grow as a whipstick for like a year they grow like four or five feet tall straight up when they're that close together and then you just that season before they get uh brittle you just bend them over right you just bend them over and you weight them down or you you wound them so they don't stand back up and then next spring what happens is Thousands of shoots come up. You just start weaving them together and they have thorns that if you can, you know, if you're not on the audio, they're about that long and they really hurt (laughs) and that just grows into this impenetrable hedge. You gotta plan your (laughs) gates. The only thing I will say is it might be hog tight, but if you're going to run cattle, don't do this. Mm -hmm. Cattle will eat these things and it's number 5,371 ways of a way that a cow will kill itself because they will, they can eat it. But they gorge on it and it impacts them or then they, uh, they bloat and they die. We, we had that experience in West Virginia. So uh. they will kill cows will kill themselves with osage oranges and with high tannin acorn. They will eat high tannin acorn until they kill themselves. So if you have palatable acorn, that's one thing and you still have to limit consumption pigs. That's why I like pigs. There, there's nothing a pig eats that kills it, right? Including another pig. Like a pig dies. The other pigs are like, oh, he had a good run.
2: pigs are resourceful
4: very excited it's the next thing we're getting for uh, uh animals wise is pigs
2: hey jason how's it working to store food like prepper style in the barn dominium construction process um
4: yeah that was uh so when i uh before building this i did get a little 12 by 16 shed that i've kept conditioned Pretty much kept everything in there. Um, and then slowly transferring it over. Now, the freezers didn't like being like we had freezers in here, but it would be 120 degrees in here. Oh, yeah. Air for that, that much. Um, yeah. So, uh, you know, we tried to condition as much as possible. We knew it'd be expensive to, to just run those things, but it was like, well, we're not going to get rid of our food right now. So, mm-hmm.
1: you know, one thing in a, winter scenario with like power out don't mistake the resources that you have so like when it was freezing cold in my garage and the power was out i didn't run my freezers yeah i opened them yeah it was 18 degrees in the garage right i figured the refrigerator closed would stay cold enough for the cold food and open the freezers and when the power came back, we closed them and nothing defrosted because you know what doesn't happen? Meat doesn't defrost surrounded by other frozen meat in an insulated container when it's 18 degrees. Like, And then when we, you know, I mentioned the bottle of wine, we were like, oh, we want the bottle of wine cold. We just put it on the porch for an hour, right? And when it had little ice crystals on the top, oh, time to have some Chardonnay and look out at our ice wonderland. Like, don't forget that, like, some of your problems are actually solved by your other problems. Like, if it's really cold outside, you can keep things cold. If it's really hot outside, you can make things hot like solar cooking or whatever. Like there's always something. Every good thing has a negative, so every bad thing has a positive if we understand the other side of it.
2: You know, something nobody ever talks about is if you have one of those high-end, small, super insulated coolers, like a Yeti or something or an off-brand Yeti, and your power goes out and it's warm, you can like hit the fridge, take everything out you pretty much need throughout the day, you know, lunch meat or whatever it is you're going to be getting into, put it in that with some ice. Because you usually have all that when the power still yeah. goes out and then just leave the fridge closed, yep. And that helps keep everything in the fridge cold and the stuff that you're going to be eating throughout the day. We would do that. We'd run our generator to cool down. I would do the cycle of next 20, 24 hours. What do we need? Put it in the cooler and then cool down the fridge and then. For an hour. Made it, it way easy. Yeah, exactly.
1: D- so. so the other thing we do, we have a bunch of the moving blankets. Yeah. So that our couches and stuff in our. Presentation room, people can sit on them without getting cat hair on them is one purpose. But function stacking, power goes out. You know, first thing we do is we just cover the refrigerators with the moving blankets and increase the insulation. And like you said, the stuff that's out there, we just don't open the doors.
0: Mm-hmm. Like
1: if I want to cook steak that night and I need to take some steaks out of the deep freezer, open, get the steaks out, close it, throw the moving blankets over it. How long does it take, even if it's summertime, for a fully stocked deep freezer that's kept at like 11 degrees normally to defrost and thaw out. Like think of how long it takes when you take a thick steak and put it on your countertop. It's hours. Well, if it's inside an insulated box made to keep things frozen, like short term power outages, don't worry about your freezer refrigerator. It's the long term ones you got to worry about. And like Nicole said, get a generator. I don't know about you, Nicole. Number one prep, number one most useful prep I have had in my life over the last 10 years has been my generators.
2: Um, my number one was food. That was my number two, <laughs> but that's because my food's canned and not for. I mean, I yeah. have frozen now, but. And Bonnie Blue, we are starting the process of this fence. So no, we do not have video, but we will. We'll we'll show you all our mistakes as we make the Osage Orange fence here.
1: <laughs> You'll find out if goats eat Osage Orange.
2: <laughs> yeah, exactly. You'll see me like cut my finger on the thorns and stuff and cry <laughs> probably. <laughs>
1: I wonder if you could do it with honey locust. The problem with honey locusts is they spread a lot easier.
2: Yeah. Well, and the thorns on the honey locusts are so much bigger from popping yeah. your tractor tire standpoint. I prefer yeah.
1: the Osage
2: and Osage and, makes great firewood here for me.
1: It makes wonderful firewood. It makes good bows. Yeah. So when you're growing your, your staves, like if you don't need them all, you can remove some. It, it's one of the best bow woods there is. I didn't know that till recently. Uh, somebody told me that it makes incredible, uh, incredibly good long bows. And, and, uh, Short bows, as long as you're yeah. not trying to make some kind of compound shit like primitive bows. So that's kind of cool. Um, there's a lot of things you can do like in, I don't know how well it would work in the United States. We have problems with hazelnut blight, but there's hazelnut hedges that your grandfather or great grandfather struggled across in Germany during World War two. And guess what? They're still there.
0: Yeah.
1: They're still there. Like that's, longevity. One thing that I think people don't really know because we stopped teaching like valuable biological lessons in life, that's why we are confused about gender because we don't actually teach biology anymore. But every time you coppice or you um what's the other pollard, pollard a tree, you reboot its genetics and it lives longer. There's a chestnut tree that's been pollarded forever like in a day In Italy that's like the oldest known chestnut in the world and it was literally alive like twelve hundred and fifty years ago and it's still dropping chestnuts because it's getting that reboot when you when you especially when you pollard a tree so that's when you you cut it at a much higher level like you know maybe head height maybe double head height and you see these trees that have had this topping done to them and you look right where they kind of grow out from there and you see these big like lumps I don't remember, it's like desosomatic or something, mesosomatic cells of the plant. It's basically the plant's stem cell that can, that can grow any part of the plant. And even though it's manifesting in that kind of formation where you've done the cut, when you cut a tree that, that collars or coppices back, you basically cause that process to happen to the entire genetics of the plant. And so this tree that's 100 years old, when you put it through this process, if you do it correctly and at the right time of year, you kind of reboot it. And this is now a 20-year-old plant with a 100-year-old root system. Like, And this is the – like, why aren't we teaching that to a 7th grader? Because you know what a 7th grader, because I've done it, does when you explain that? They go, wow. They don't go, oh, God, why do I have to know this? They're like, holy shit. Like, You can make a tree live forever, well, not forever, but for thousands of years. You can make a tree that lives 100 years live for 2,000 years. Like, why aren't we investigating this? Maybe there's something we can learn about longevity for humans or mammals or something with that. I don't know, but it does seem like something maybe if we actually gave a shit about the science that we would be looking into. Yeah, totally. So we're at almost an hour and a half. I'm going to give everybody a chance to say one more thing, and I appreciate everybody that joined us today. And uh, I need to get this spun up and put out in the audio podcast. And Billy Roy's back. So, uh, Nicole, I'll let you go first.
2: Well, I'm going to do a shameless pitch in that that case. Uh, I've got a really cool festival next weekend in Tennessee. So if you're in Tennessee, it's the Self-Reliance Festival at a business called Special Operations Equipment run by John Willis. Great guy. And we're just highlighting skills you can learn. We just added forging. So there's going to be a guy there showing you how to do blacksmithing, making some different projects. We've got a ham radio demo. I'm showing showing people how to make cheese. Willis is going to talk with it about whatever the fuck Willis wants to talk about. That's just the way that goes. It's only 30 bucks if you get your ticket by Wednesday and that's at livingfreeintennessee.com. On the right, you'll see a button that takes you straight there. 50 bucks at the door.
4: Jason,
1: got anything for us
4: here at the end? Uh, two things. One is you both have, uh, a lot of your workshops are during when we still have farmers market seasons and that kind of kills my ability to come, right? Um, it always happens. Uh, but then another is just, I mean, we're, my wife and I are, we had a couple, uh, contractors do like the spray foam or the HVAC, but really, um, I've had some, you know, skills before, but hey, we, if there's the information's out there. Anyone could do anything. Like we, you know, we ran all our electric. We ran all the plumbing. It's not. It's not difficult. It's just time consuming, annoying You get really frustrated, but I mean, it just, you could do anything.
1: I'm literally fighting with the rooster right now.
4: (laughs) uh, Fighting with the rooster. I'll talk about the rooster. So we got chickens this year for the first time. There was, we got two roosters. One of them was just mean. And, uh, my daughter, she's seven. And, um, she, she's like, well, do we want to, you know, just go ahead and, uh, uh, bury in the ground or eat it. She's like, no, we can't waste it. We got to eat it. So she stood there the whole time that I slaughtered it, went ahead and, um, you know, what it processed it, everything. She just asked, Oh, what's this? This is just surprised the heck out of me, but it was a mean rooster. And there's only one place for a mean rooster. That was in.
1: agreed. Like I said, if he didn't make pretty babies, he'd already be, he's itty bitty. So he'd be wrapped up in bacon like a dove and he'd be (laughs) on the grill by now. Um, I, I do think we have a new segment for live feeds. Maybe when I get back from vacation, I'll be able to put together a couple like moderators or something to keep track of the stream. Cause I don't think it's always going to come right at the end where I'm going to see it. And maybe we need two or three, the audience to vote on, but I think we need a comment of the stream winner. And today's is Arkansas woodcutter who was with us here uh, for a bit. And he said, most people need to be pollarded just above the shoulders. I think that is the comment of the fucking stream guys like that. <laughs> so we need to like, cause it encourages commenting too. Right. So maybe we'll like, if you're interested in serving as a moderator and you don't have to be every time, like these are going to be mostly on Fridays, like you don't have to be every time. Cause I have a couple of people that can do it. You know, there's ways I can promote you to moderator. And if you can keep a list of certain things, so we don't miss them because Nicole suggested that. And I think that's going to be a really great idea, not just for this, but for other things. I don't know why Patrick didn't bring his dead ass on the feed. He's been here the whole time. He could have been on here talking with us from MT knives and maybe he would have made some good comments, but I wanted to throw out something for the case. So I am doing an interview tomorrow um, with Joe Riles on um dogs and some other things. It's pretty cool, uh, but that's not going to run until I get back. So I'm going to do the interview, but I'm not going to post it. I'm out of here shortly thereafter that. And uh, while I'm gone, if you want to stay in touch with what's going on, I'm not saying nothing's going to be on YouTube, but the place to stay in touch with, like, how many sharks are Jack and David catching or something like that is going to be MeWe and Float. Like, I'm on Gab, but I kind of cut and paste over there and don't do anything because there's a lot of lunatic batshit crazy on Gab. But it's easy, so I add it. Um, but MeWe and Float, if you want to keep in touch with Jack <laughs> while Jack's fishing and somebody else just deals with Billy Roy Bob, um, that's going to be how to do it. And uh, I really encourage people. If you don't generally listen to rewinds, I would this time. A couple of years ago, I did the Stomp series. Mm-hmm. Would it had a lot of new content, it, and people like really got hooked on that. I think Nicole grabbed all of those and put them together and used them or something. Like they're great. They were great. And this time, I didn't have time to do like a whole bunch of new intro content and get this done. But what I did is I grabbed fairly recent episodes, and every one of them is literally something you can do in your life. And I've realized over the years that a lot of people are like, I listen to every show you do. I've learned everything you taught. And you start talking to me like, no, you didn't. Right? And I don't I don't say that in a in a negative way. I'm just saying like it's a lot of info. And then sometimes you go out and like somebody says, I built a swale and you look at it and go, that that's that, that I'm sure I said it right. That's not a swale. Like so reinforcing skill sets and the knowledge that goes with the skill set is one of the most valuable things we can do. A lot of the problems people build up and, and, and point out when we're having these discussions are solved by skill sets. Like my grandfather would not have worried about the fact, that, Hey, your outboard motor might not run on your boat because when that happened and I was 10 years old and we were sitting in the middle of Susquehanna and all he had was a freaking pair of pliers and a screwdriver. He's you know, tapping on the carburetor and crap and wrapping the rope around it with the cover off. But you know what? In five minutes that, that boat fired up. It didn't sound really healthy. So he's like, We're going to go fish next to the shore so that if it didn't start again, we didn't have very far to go. But he, you know, he fixed it because he had that skill set. He knew how he just knew how the motor worked. And a lot of the stuff we talk about, like foraging, that's just knowing how foraging works. That knows what you can eat and what you can expect to find at what time of year that you can eat without killing yourself. That's that's foraging in a nutshell. It's not that complicated. Learn 10 things that grow in your area that you can forage and when they're around and what they look like. You probably can find something all but in the dark of winter at that point, right? Even in Pennsylvania, we could find tea berries. If you don't know what that is? Look up tea berries. It's winter green, right? Like, we'd be hunting grouse, and it's freezing cold. There's snow everywhere, and all of a sudden, little red berries. Grouse like them. Too bad, grouse. I'm eating the berries before I shoot you, right? Like, there's always something that can be done. Uh, Nicole, Jason, thanks for joining us today. Charles, Arkansas Woodcutter, I know you guys are off doing other things now, but thanks for joining us today. Uh, everybody in the comment feed, thanks for joining us today. Guys, we're going to call it there. Uh, I'm gonna go have a vacation and stay in touch with me on Float Niwi if you wanna see what's going on.
0: Alright. Yeah.
1: You gotta get one last crow in.
0: i wait. You pull yourself up. They keep bringing you down. Are they gonna bail you out? Or just run you around? They said you should have a house.